and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. Uh, we are now episode 50, uh, and we have with us Winston Churchill, part two. Uh, as always, I'm your host today for this episode, uh, me, Ryan McGowan. I've got on the other side of technological advancement, James Kay. How are you? Hello. I'm well. I'm good, well. Good, good. Um, so, on a, a quick side note, this is part two of Winston Churchill. Part one came out last week, and we've had a, genuinely a fucking uh, amazing response to the episode on social media. We've had comments left, right, and centre from people defending him, people not defending him, some people just wearing their blinkers when they defend him. It, it's been it's been a revelation, uh, and it's the whole reason as to why we're doing this episode on this man. It's so sort of in, it's so in the moment right now uh, and what we were wanting to do is sort of tell as much of the whole story of the man because this this man's life is fucking crazy there's so much stuff going on so much stuff to unpack we, we just cannot get it all in and i have to do all the work for this and i don't have the time so i'm like trying to like get as much in as i can um but yeah we want like a 3d 360 view of this man and a lot of people don't have that and it's it's interesting in the comments but yeah well to be fair churchill did like come out of the womb as a fully grown 70 odd year old man and was only alive for the amount of time he was prime minister during the war that's exactly right yeah that's all he did uh and after the war he then he just faded away like a it was like Gandalf the White. His work there was done. He exactly, yeah. He he came atop, got on a boat and left. That's exactly right. He came atop a hill. He did what needed to be done, and then he he went off to the other world. And that was it. Um, so there is no reason to ever argue against him. But we'll, we we will try. So okay. let's let's go to part two, shall we? Part two. Um, now, we last left Churchill, aged forty years old, first Lord of the Admiralty for the Liberal Party. And with the biggest war to blight the world in history at that point about to kick off. Yes, World War I was on its way and Churchill knew it. Now this is not going to be a history of the First World War. But the war didn't just happen out of nowhere. Yes, the teenager Gavrilo Princip's assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife in Sarajevo was the straw that broke the camel's back. But conflict was bubbling for years before then. For example, Germany had passed uh, various German naval laws which saw a huge spike in production of naval ships. Right? The kind of thing that would scare the most powerful naval nation, Britain. The whole point was to sort of have something that would be um, similar in power to what Britain had so that they could compete maybe on the same level. Now, Churchill was First Lord of the Admiralty, couldn't let this happen, and so began to produce even more ships to compete with the German state, saying that for every new battleship Germany builds, Britain would build two, which in Empire talk means my dad could smash your dad. Yeah, just comparing sizes. That's exactly that, right? Um, and I think that's brilliant. He's going, well, all right, well, for every ship you build, I will build two. And also, it's it's still Empire Britain, uh, so you know money. Who needs it? We could just spend what we like. Yeah, it's not our money. 
Yeah. So as we learned last last week as well, you know, Britain is quite proud of that point of its militant power. It it kind of it it's built itself on its military power and force. So when he's like, "Fuck it, man, let's have more ships so we stay powerful," no one really said anything. They were like, "All right, go over it. <laughs> if that's yeah. what we need, that's what we need." Absolutely. But war did break out, and Britain declared war on Germany and the Axis powers in 1914. Uh, now, every every kid in Britain at school has done World War One in history at some point, to to varying degrees of uh, depths. Yeah. Now, I don't want to patronise you, but are you aware of the domino effect that started it all? It's so long ago. One of the fun facts that I remember is the assassination of Franz Ferdinand was actually a bit of an accident. Like, they were supposed to assassinate him, but his car got detoured or something. And the assassinators yep. were like, oh, fuck. So they went to buy a sandwich and just, like, yep. sulk about it. And as they were going to buy the sandwich, they noticed the car just trundling on past. And they thought, totally, oh, this is handy. Totally right. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. They were like, they, uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife... Uh, were doing their little tour of Sarajevo uh, and they'd even put the planned route in a newspaper so everyone knew where they'd be in an open top car a bit like uh, JFK you're like you're fucking risking it there mate Don't yeah you need a Pope-mobile you need the Pope-mobile uh, yeah and then they there was a grenade attack they threw a grenade and it actually blew up the car in front so then the guys at the front went to hospital and then Archduke cancelled his day his daily tasks went to the hospital the next day to visit the bodyguards, and then on his way back from the hospital, yes, they drove past the shop where the uh, assassinators were, where Gavrilo Princip, who at the time was only a teenager, I think he was like 19, he just saw him in his car and went, oh, fuck, and then just took out his pistol and shot him. So um, fucking weird how that just coinc... Like, such a coincidence. Yeah. Now, do you do you know where Gavrilo Princip was for? Do you remember, uh, do you remember where he was from? Oh, No. He was from Serbia. Right. Um, so, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia after the Serbian young Gavrilo Princip killed the Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria-Hungary. Okay. Great band. Very good band. <laughs> Germany was allied with Austria-Hungary, so declared war on Serbia as well. Serbia was allies with Russia, so they declared war on Austria-Hungary and Germany too. France was allied with Russia, who was allied with Serbia, so declared war on Germany and Austria-Hungary. Britain was allied with France, and so declared war... Wait, no, it didn't. No, France asked Britain if they would declare war as well. But Britain, between sips of tea, was initially like, um, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) And And it just didn't for a little while. They were like, nah. Uh, we'll think about it and then had another cup of tea it actually wasn't until germany invaded france that they got involved not because they invaded france still even though they were their allies who were also allies to russia who were also allies of serbia it's because they went through belgium with the schlieffen plan and belgium was neutral it had no real allies except for britain so when germany's schlieffen plan meant going through Belgium to get to France, Britain then went, how dare you? And that was it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's a fucking crazy, crazy, crazy fucking little 
I'm allies with him, who's allies with him, who's allies with him, who's allies with him, and that's why I'm going. And then you go to France as a as a Tommy Brit going, why the fuck am I here? It's like when, like, if you're out in a nightclub with your friends and you get into, like, a scuffle with another group and you're like, right, you take the big one, you take him, you take him. And Britain is just that guy at the bar just being like, oh, I'll just, I'll get the drink and I'll just yeah. see what happens. Well, no, Britain's that guy who turns around and goes, what the fuck's happening? And then they go, <laughs> we're having a fight with them. And Britain just goes, why? And they go, no time, just get involved. And then you see one of them just punch, like, the smallest member of your group who nobody harms. And you're like, oh, well, can't be having that. Yeah, well, except in this story, right, they've punched the smallest guy who is not really able to harm anyone, but did also murder millions of Congolese. So, Churchill's first year of the war was pretty strong, if you could ignore hundreds of thousands of young men and civilians being killed every day. He blockaded Germany with his navy and transported 120,000 soldiers to mainland Europe. Now, remember, Britain was in this war because of Belgium. So you'd think that they'd put up a pretty good fight for it. So when Churchill showed up at Antwerp and promised the Belgian Prime Minister that they would do all they could to help and defend Antwerp and Belgium, you'd be surprised that after Prime Minister, uh, after Mr Winston Churchill left and went back to the UK, most of the British forces also fucked off and left Antwerp to it, which was then taken by German forces. Right. Yeah. Now, many were critical of this, but Churchill stood by his shit and said that it all helped to prolong resistance and secure Calais and Dunkirk, which I imagine is strategically more important. Meanwhile... Yeah, because they're like fucking... They're facing us. That's in our best interest. Yeah, exactly. He's like, well, we need, we need the ports because how else does an island get to the mainland without the ports? So I'm sorry, Yeah, and if Belgium. they get there, that means they're on our doorstep. Yeah, so... Immediately, we're like a couple of minutes in, and already we're able to try and almost rationalise Churchill's tactics. You know, it doesn't look good, but if you try and think about it from a different perspective, sometimes you can understand it. You know? Yeah. Meanwhile, um, the rape of Belgium occurred. Are you aware of the rape of Belgium? You know, I've never heard it put like that. Ah, yeah. Um, how would you, what was you aware of it as? Just Belgium crumbled, I guess. I've never. Like, I've heard of the um, rape of Nanking. Yeah, is it, is it anything? Pl- is it anything like that? Yeah, except the rape of Nanking didn't happen. James, come on. Um, no one acknowledges that the rape of Nanking happened, although it totally did. But no, the rape yeah, of Belgium uh, happened in 1914, by which German soldiers and forces just sort of. Well, not very pleasant in Belgium. And that was mm. then um, overly fucking done as well in, like, you know, uh, Allied propaganda. It was like one of the big, big, big components for um, uh, getting people to sign up to fight for the war. It's like, look what they did to Belgium. We cannot yeah. stand for this. You have to sign up. You have to fight and defend this fucking island, this little nation from all this sort of tyranny and shit. Um, yeah, man. Oh, and there was like a, a British, uh, I think she was a Red Cross nurse. She was in Belgium as well, and I think she got shot or was executed, um, and right. that, that didn't go down very well. I, I really no. I can't remember her name, though. But yeah, that happened. Arguably, people would say, well, it's because of Churchill that happened, and it's like, mm, mm, yeah, kind of, maybe. I don't know. But 
this would not be the only questionable action taken by Mr. Churchill. Now, if you just look at the history of World War One, it is littered with colossal misjudgments that lead to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people by incompetent generals and leaders. Okay, Churchill was just another in a long line about to make the same error. Now, it's 1915. Trenches are slowing the war to a halt and both sides are looking for a way to break the stalemate and secure a decisive victory. Churchill had a master plan. He wanted to shake things up and knock out the Ottoman Empire, which is now Turkey, from the war. He would do this by sailing a fleet of naval ships up the Dardanelles towards Constantinople, take the city, knock out the Ottoman Empire and connect with Russia across the Black Sea. Now in theory, this works, but war is not a science and soldiers' lives are not just pawns on a chessboard. There are real life consequences and Churchill was about to experience that firsthand. Now on April 25th, 1915, French, British, Australian and New Zealander forces landed on the Straits of the Dardanelles at two main areas. The Allies faced sea mines, an entrenched Ottoman defence and a shitload of hilly terrain. The now disastrous campaign is widely known as the Gallipoli campaign. Do you know about the Gallipoli at all? I've heard the name. Very, very famous name. Everyone's heard of Gallipoli. Um, it was an unequivocal disaster as a campaign. Allied forces tried and tried and tried to take the straits, but after eight months of bloody stalemate, they were forced to evacuate. In total, around half a million men, 500,000, were killed or wounded. And it's said that the shores of the Dardanelles were turned blood red because of it. Nice. Yep. Now, this defeat was humiliating for Churchill. You know, for the most part, it kind of, it was his idea. He propped it up and they went for it. Both the Liberal Party government and the opposing Conservatives were critical of the plan and seeing how it played out absolutely horrified them. The Liberal Party agreed to an all-party coalition government suggested by the Conservatives, but they did have one condition, that Churchill be fired from his position because of it. And he was actually... Yeah, he was... And this was his old party, the Conservatives. They were like, get it fucking out. We will... We, we're... We're... Hope, we're we will join powers with you. We'll, we'll join the parties. We'll, we'll sort this out together. I want him gone, though. We're not doing it unless he goes because he's fucking liability as far as they could, they were concerned. And he was demoted uh, to Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, which at the time was just a glorified managerial position. He just looked after the, the, the Duchy of Lancaster. That was it. So mm. it's, you know, it's going well. <laughs> Churchill's political enemies would never allow Churchill to forget his role in Gallipoli. Taunts of, quotes, remember the Dardanelles would be thrown his way now and then to undermine him in later life. Now, question. Was Churchill remorseful over Gallipoli? Probably not. War to him was a risk, and risks had to be taken to win wars. But he never forgot, despite his enemies reminding him. He would mention it throughout his life, once saying, quotes, the Dardanelles might have saved millions of lives. Don't imagine I am running away from the Dardanelles. I glory in it. Although in a uh, in the in the Dardanelles Commission that was later uh, established, he was found not to be at fault for the campaign's failure. So yeah, um, 
I throw that question to you still. Was Churchill remorseful over Gallipoli? I'd massively doubt it. Mm. Yeah, I would argue that too. Um, I imagine he was like, well, that didn't work. And that'd probably be it. He seems like a very oh, calculated individual. He is. That he, like, there's not so much time for emotions. It's all about numbers and statistics. Yeah, I think I think really you've sort of nailed nailed it on the head there. Churchill doesn't seem to be a man about emotion in terms of making decisions and war and and politics. He's very much a numbers person. Like I said earlier, war is not a science, but Churchill tried to think it was. To him, it was. It was a science. He was like, well, we have the superior numbers. Why wouldn't it work? And that's just not how it works. No, war doesn't. Numbers help in war, but like, even just ask the fucking Russians. They got battered for a little bit in World War II. Like, numbers aren't everything. Exactly that. I mean, you also have to remember, um, it's World War One. It is the first truly mechanised uh, modern war in the world. Mm. Churchill, as we learned from last episode, has been a part of the British Army in in previous um campaigns and now back then they were only really fighting um uh natives of lands that they had taken over for the most part britain was the more technologically advanced of the two combatants in those times whenever he was on campaign so sheer Mm. numbers yeah of course it won the day and that's how he saw it but that wouldn't be for uh, but it wouldn't be for churchill's but that wouldn't be it, sorry, for Churchill's First World War. Likely bored out of his brain and wanting some action, he resigned from government in 1915 after be, being the Duke of Lancaster. Um, the, not the Duke, the, looking after the Duchy of Lancaster. Um, he resigned from government in 1915. Uh, this is also apparently after asking the Prime Minister to make him Governor General of British East Africa. I mean, the confidence on this guy... James, would you, when sacked from your job for orchestrating essentially a horrific plan that gets hundreds of thousands of men dead, ask confidently to have a senior role instead? Um, No, I'd probably be dealing with the mental health issues yeah. that come with knowing yeah, that people are dead. You'd probably want to run away and hide with your towel tucked between your legs. But no, he went, yeah. could I have a better position then, please? And he was like, no, get fucked. He's like, okay, fine. I'll, I will resign then. <laughs> You, I was... You've got to admire like the confidence and the audacity of the man. Oh, he totally had faith in himself. If 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 there's like if 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 you are ever feeling low self esteem or you're feeling not confident, you need a bit of Churchillian spirit. That's what you need. Yeah, no matter how many people die, I'm great. Yeah, do you know what? We need to have like a really potently strong liquor, and we need to call it the Churchill. And whenever someone's feeling down, you should give them a bit of Churchill. And then afterwards they go, oh, that's pet me right up. <laughs> now, maybe that's why people defend him so much. They like they just ignore all the bad stuff and go, no, great. His his way of thinking just rubbed off onto people. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 Maybe they don't look at the numbers. Maybe they look at the, the they look at the results, but they don't care for the numbers. Yeah, and if you go around telling enough people that you're great, eventually someone might believe you. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, he was he was the best Brit in history, as we learned last week. Now he, um, as I say, had resigned from government and actually volunteered himself to the army. He joined the Six Royal Scots Fusiliers, and he was a major. Churchill and his battalion spent three months at the front, avoiding incoming shells from the Germans. Although no full-on offensive ever actually happened. 
Soon after that, Churchill resigned his position as major and left the army for home. Although, leaving government, he technically was still an MP, so I suppose he shouldn't have been there, which is a bit irresponsible. But, mm. as well, no other soldiers had the choice to leave the front and go home if they just fancied it. And even if you tried, mm. for a good section of the war, you'd be imprisoned, or worse, murdered for desertion. And yet, if you're an elite, yeah. you can just resign and go home. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Now, towards the end of the war in 1917, Lord George... Uh, L- L- Lloyd George. I Say that again. Said that wrong. <laughs> Lloyd George. Yeah. I mean, he is Welsh, so it could be right. <laughs> Lloyd George was now heading the Liberal government, the Liberal Party government after Herbert Asquith resigned. Lord... Oh, Christ. Lloyd George made Churchill the Minister for Munitions to coordinate the production of war effort material to the front, which in war is quite a big deal. You can't fight a war without equipment. And because Churchill is a numbers man, you know, it makes sense that he'd be quite good at that. He probably did this to kickstart Churchill's career again. They had known each other since the previous administration and seemed to be quite good friends. Now, Churchill was as efficient as ever when it comes to this job, not caring so much with feelings, but again, more with results. For instance, on two occasions, a strike broke out in Clyde in Scotland, slowing production. Churchill's way of dealing with it was threatening immediate conscription to the army for anyone who continued to strike. (laughs) Again, I shall translate for any non-Empire speakers. Do it or I will put you in a position whereby you may be killed legally. Yeah, that's pretty I'm so glad that we can speak Empire, James, just from being British. Yeah, I'm sure like other countries like Americans, it might go straight over the head. Totally, yeah. Although, did they have conscription in America? Or they they call it the draft, don't they? They call it the draft, yeah. Um, I'm not... Which Trump dodged. Ooh, yeah. Sucker punch. (laughs) Uh, I don't know that much about American draft dodging and and conscription and i'm not entirely sure about this i can't really make much comment which is weird because normally that should be the right way if you don't know enough about a subject you probably shouldn't make much of a comment but somewhere no just wade in just wade in that that got lost if even if you know absolutely nothing just fucking shout loud enough anyway phew war is busy man After the war, luckily we've just got through it, an election was held and Lord George's... I really... Do you know what? Do do you want to to have a moment? Lord... (laughs) Who's Lord George? Ah, why is it? Two L's, there's a Y in it. The first one was the best. The first one I think was Lord Lord George. Lloyd George. I don't say Lloyd ever. I don't know a Lloyd. Lloyd George. The only Lloyd I know is a bank. No, there's no Lloyd. Oh, no, there's uh, the pharmacy as well, Lloyd's Pharmacy. Lloyd's Pharmacy? Yeah, we've got one at the end of my room. Maybe it's not a big chain no, like I thought it was. Yeah, we've got thing. Lloyd's Pharmacy. And then there's <clears throat> Lloyd's Bank. Anyway, an election was held just after the war, and Lloyd George's Liberal Party once again is in power. And Churchill also was re-elected MP for... Can you guess where he was elected MP? Churchill? Yeah. Uh, well, fuck, what was his constituency? Have a little guess. Anywhere in the country. North, south, middle... Wherever you want. It's a, my instinct says London. Like uh, no. London, but no. Oh, he was Couldn't north. Be further from it. Was he north? Was, yeah, I quite say, far north. I want to say Durham for some reason. 
you're close, it's D. Dundee. Risdon Churchill was elected MP for Dundee. Is he likely Scottish? A place. No, likely a place he's never fucking been. But surely, I thought you have to live there to be elected. No, no, you could be an MP for anywhere you like. You just have to campaign there. What? Yep. I do believe that is still the case even today. You don't have to be from uh, the place that you uh, herald. Because, um, uh, what's his face? Um, who was the guy that wanted to run independent as London mayor? He's recently oh. dropped out. Oh, what's Rory. his name? Yeah, Rory something. Roy Stewart. Rory Stewart, that's it. Everyone quite likes Rory Stewart at the moment. He's I... like the conservative with a conscience. I like he listening was... to him talk. I, I like, I, he says some good stuff. He does say some good stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad that he's dropped out as the independent. Anyway... Um, he was an MP for a border town between Scotland and England, and he's not from there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so that's totally a thing. Uh, but yeah, it just turns out that Dundee was pretty much a safe seat for the Conservatives. And yeah. uh, they went, uh, not the Conservatives, sorry, the Liberal Party, and they went, well, okay, Mr Churchill, we'll put you as MP for the Liberal Party in Dundee, because that's pretty much a safe bet. You win that. And he went, brilliant. And he was elected MP. That's such <laughs> a flaw that- in the system. It's such a flaw in the system, isn't it? Because you could, technically you go, oh, I'm I'm going to uh, look after my constituents, and then they'd be like, but you're not from here. You've no fucking care about this place, and it's like, yeah, never mind. Yeah, he doesn't know. He won't, he'll never vote in the interests of the people he's elected to represent. Totally, totally. Like that'd be like me. Um, well, yeah, that'd be like you being the MP for uh, my area of Basildon and Thurrock. Yeah, like, you don't know what it's like to live in Basildon Authoric. You don't got know the issues that Basildon Authoric has, so you know you don't care about it. Why would you? Yeah, that but needs anyway. to be addressed. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yep, that's a thing. And he was elected MP for Dundee, and whilst that made Secretary of State for War and Secretary of State for Air, because there was a new Air Force, although I don't think it was the Royal Air Force, it was the Army Air Force at that point. Uh, anyway. Churchill was now back in government and never too shy about voicing his opinion. He was opposed to the demobilisation of the German army. He was fearful of communism, as was a lot of people at the end of the 20th century, uh, for the rest of the 20th century, I should say. And Churchill saw the German army as a buffer to be used against the Russians if ever they got a bit too big for their boots. Remember, at this point in history, the communists had just started. The Soviets had just started coming into power. Lenin was hanging around with mm. Trotsky and all that. Like, that was happening. It was all scary. The Romanovs with poor little Anastasia had all been murdered. It was quite a scary time. If you looked at Russia, you'd be like, hmm, I don't like the look of that, which is kind of like now, but that's <laughs> here or there. So, yeah, he was opposed to the demobilization of the German army because then it's like, well, we have literally no fucking opposition or like a buffer between the rest of mainland Europe and Russia if you got rid of the German army why would you do that and he was also heavily opposed to the harsh penalties to the German state uh, with the Treaty of Versailles he was worried that it would affect their working class which would then maybe push them towards that communist sympathies uh, you know when times get really desperate I mean I dare say it did affect their working class no it totally did obviously we know now that this didn't happen because the Treaty of Versailles um and and it wasn't communism exactly that took a hold in Germany in years to come, but the complete opposite. Spoiler yeah. alert. Nazis. Was a, yeah, a man called Adolf was about... Mr Hitler. Because yeah, at, at, at this time, what, what year are we in? 
uh, we're uh, in the early uh, 1920 or 1919, around that sort of time. So Hitler's probably mm, maybe on the street, probably maybe just getting into politics. No one knows who he is. Maybe. Yeah, I'll Churchill's don't, still like, licking his wounds after the war. Because uh, obviously he was in hospital, wasn't he? Uh, when he found out the war was over and then he would have gone back to um, home and just was just fucking hanging around. Like most Germans were at that time, just hanging around, not really... Yeah, the unemployment really was crazy. And the fucking... Yeah. What was it? Was it did they have Deutschmarks then? Or was it yeah, something they had else? Deutschmark. Yeah, the, like, the, the, uh, Their economy was fucked. Yeah, well that ended up um, with inflation and the Great Depression, which does later come on, and that's to do with America, which again, I will just briefly mention later on. Um, but yeah, America loaned them a shitload of money that they just were not able to ever pay back. Yeah. Now, over in Ireland, and yes, we are briefly going to talk about Ireland, James, which is a whole fucking hot topic. So why is it with Churchill that we're going through so many hot topics? Yeah, yeah. He likes hot topics. He has an yeah. opinion on everything, remember, and he's not shy about uh, sharing them. Mm. Now, there was a war for independence being fought, although the English Parliament would deny it at the time. During the First World War, violent clashes were happening in Ireland towards the English-slash-British from 1919 to 1921. It was a full-out guerrilla war. Now, uh, the Irish War of Independence, I'm going to point out here, we're not doing full histories on the events mentioned in this series, so do forgive us if you feel that we are glazing over a lot. I just, there is a lot to unpack, and I want to give some sort of context to the events, so that part is important, right? I, I have to give some sort of context, but I'm not going into a full history, okay? I'm putting it out there now. So... To say that the English and the Irish have had a difficult relationship throughout history is likely an understatement. But if I could sum up this particular time in history, the Irish were still being ruled by the English and were wanting independence, which is fair. Now, they'd gone down the legal routes before, but to no avail. England was not going to give in, and so, through uh, lots of things happening, the IRA was formed. Okay, and then also an Irish government was formed too, which the English didn't properly recognise. Now, the English didn't want to acknowledge that what was happening in Ireland was actually a war for fear of drawing sympathy to the Irish cause, because then you've got people like America who are all like anti-imperialism at that point, although you could argue America has become an imperialist nation. But at that point... And America point, had been through that whole, that whole shit. Oh, America would be all over that shit. They'd be like, oh, there's a nation that wants freedom from an oppressor. Fuck yeah. And then they'd put all their money and they'd probably support Ireland. And then like, yeah. we were like, mm, no, we can't acknowledge. The, the, the English government were like, we can't acknowledge that this is actually a war because then it would legitimize the Irish cause. So what we're going to say is it's just a security threat and we've got the police handling it. That's how they dealt with it. Right. So I say, instead of using air quotes, police forces um, of the Royal Irish Constabulary, among other paramilitary groups, one of which was called the Black and Tans, which you may have heard of. It's quite a famous name. Mm. Uh, they came to be known that because of their darker uniforms that they wore. So I'll go into that a little bit. Churchill was then Secretary of State for War and later Secretary of State for the Colonies again. He was in the process of demobilising the army, the British army. And he saw this as an opportunity to help the Irish situation that was going on. So it's often seen to be his own idea, 
but it does seem to be more of a cabinet idea that Churchill was fully behind. So it's more attributed, attributed, what's the word I'm looking for? Attributed, attributed to him. Yeah. So this idea of the black and tans, you'll hear Churchill and black and tans generally in the same sentence. They're like, Churchill sent the black and tans in. I don't think it was his idea. I think it was a cabinet, cabinet idea that he fully supported. And because of that, it was easy to put on him. Mm. So the idea was to have former army officers go to Ireland to support the RIC police against the insurgency, followed by thousands of experienced former soldiers from World War One. They were the black and tans, and even today are remembered for their brutality and criminal activities against the Irish people. Now, when brought up, Churchill was likely aware of their activities, but he ignored it because it got a result. Again, we're sort of, he's unsympathetic, he's unemotional, he gets results. Or at least yeah, tries to. As always. He thinks about the numbers. That's all, it's all a science to him. Mm. I'd like to think he's like, you know, you know, in every like little shitty fucking police procedural, and it's like, God damn it, you don't play by the rules, but you get results. Yeah, <laughs> that's him. <laughs> that's who he thinks he is. He's like, mm. you may not like the way I handle things, but I get results. And it's like, yeah, but civilians got killed and he's like but i got results and he just yeah, sits back what and cost. lights his cigar and then walks away mm. now the irish conflict would continue for the rest of the uh, century and still today we see the marks of it with brexit causing a big issue brexit anyway speaking of events that would resonate 100 years after the fact was british involvement with the middle east way christ it just oh, doesn't yes. end yeah, Britain just can't stay away from the Middle East. They absolutely love it there. It must be that sweet, sweet, rotten dinosaur juice in the ground that we love so much. Mmm. Mmm. Oil. You can't drink it, but it's bloody expensive. Sounds now, like they need some freedom. <laughs> smells like freedom. Now, the Middle East kind of had its own thing going on at the time with the ottomans ruling a big portion of it for hundreds of years for good or bad and then to the east of that you had the persian world uh, which is like iraq and iran and all that sort they're they're persians uh and they sort of had their own thing going on as well but we're not going to talk about that in depth what world war one did was throw a huge spanner in the works now to gain allies to help fight the ottoman empire the British and Allied governments made huge promises to fucking everyone about land after the war. Like the Oprah meme, you know? You get some land. You get yeah. some land. You get a bit of land. That's pretty much what the British did. And then they couldn't fucking make on all of those promises after the war. And they went, ah, yeah, sorry about that. Fight amongst yourselves, kind of. Yeah. Now, countries were created out of fucking nowhere. Just literally a line drawn on a map and then they were like yep that's now iraq here's a king go ahead and just rule it but what they never thought to consider was everyday people who lived in these areas you know ethnically diverse people who had an identity who'd lived in a particular area for generations were now swept up in some nation they'd never heard of and were just told now oh you're now like you're now part of this nation and like what <laughs> now in... We really created a fucking can of worms for the future, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, the, what happened to the Middle East a hundred years ago, at the end of the world, at the end of the First World War, 
are directly linked to issues that we have in the Middle East today. You know, mm. in some cases, whole groups of people were split between borders. This happened all over the world throughout the 20th century with decolonization. A lack of cultural understanding from the empires of old have left a legacy of bloody conflict that even today still creates victims. You see a lot of this in um, in uh, mainland Africa as well. You'll have nations fighting yeah. other nations, uh, nations fighting minority groups because of who they are, and the minorities will be like, "Well, listen, you're you're fighting for a nation that we just didn't fucking acknowledge when we lived here like generations ago. It wasn't a thing, and now you're like, yeah." raving about this nation that just was made out of nowhere you know and yeah it's, it's crazy man and Churchill I think Israel's probably the biggest <clears throat> one of that isn't it yeah I mean that's also one that comes after the first world war um, and Churchill the like, second one uh, the second world war you're absolutely right Churchill like I say he was just a cog in the machine that carved this new world in the Middle East he wasn't by far the bloke who created it but he was a cog in that machine now as secretary of state for the colonies he was tasked with easing the monetary cost of occupying the Middle East. So remember, there's lots of dead dinosaur juice there. We kind of want to yeah. hang around Iraq. And the way you do that, they thought, was to install a puppet king and let him rule for them. That would save a load of money. We wouldn't have to be there all the time. We could just let the puppet king rule. And then we say to him, we need some oil, please. Can I have some dinosaur juice? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah sure, 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 sure. Now, that was going swimmingly. And we've never had a problem with it in the Middle East ever again. Yay. <clears throat> it's crazy. It's like we should we should just take over the world and just do it all ourselves. And, oh, wait, we tried that and it doesn't work. That was their mentality too. Yeah. So Churchill was out of government and parliament completely by 1922. The joint government of Conservative and Liberal Party from the war days had broken apart. And in general, and, and a general election had just happened, and the Conservatives won, and Churchill lost his seat of Dundee. Boo. Bloody hell. So Churchill would then spend the next two years pretty much just lounging around, taking time to do his hobbies. Um, it's easy to just shit on Churchill at this point, so we'll just change it up a little bit. He was an animal lover, absolutely loved animals. Uh, when he was a teenager, this is a cute story, he sold his bicycle to buy himself a bulldog. Is that why he always gets the bulldog comparisons? Oh, yeah. He loves bulldogs. Loves dogs. Mm. And, you know, later in his life, he would have a whole host of pets. He had cats. He had dogs. He had pigs, fish, butterflies, sheep, horses. He had a parrot. And even he had black swans. Huh. Uh, Churchill was also a family man. Uh, he wanted to be that which his parents were not. There for his children and he was supposedly quite a doting father very nice man family wise and he was a lover of painting and would frequently create artwork that on some occasions he would sell under a pseudonym which is quite cool and he was also a prolific writer having his lifetime uh, having in his lifetime write somewhere in the region of 43 books over near 70 odd volumes this is mental because oh, it's a really unfair comparison to make, but you've literally just described Adolf Hitler as well. <laughs> like you literally have. He was a vegetarian who loved animals. He was a like an avid painter, not so much of a family man. He wrote books, not not very nice ones, but he wrote them. Mm -hmm. oh, I mean, I'll, I will, I will 
I will contest that Hitler was not a family man. He was not a family man. He was very bad with women. No, Hitler absolutely loved his niece. Totally did not have want to have a relationship with her that made her commit suicide. Yeah, there was totally love, and then there's totally love his niece. Yeah, this yeah. it's unfair. Yeah. It, no, I'm, I'm going to take it back. It's unfair. I'm not okay. I'm not comparing Churchill and Hitler. That's very <laughs> yeah. unfair. Church, yeah. Churchill is nothing compared to Hitler. Hitler was pure evil, but it's interesting yeah. that they had very similar like personality traits that you've just described well, people got to have hobbies I, th- I, th- have hobbies. I think it's fair to say they had very similar personality traits and hobbies i think that is more fair to say yes it, there 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 are similar personality traits. but before people fucking come at me on social media i am not saying winston churchill was hitler because <laughs> i know i'm no, gonna get do. fucking abuse for it i'm not saying that no they just have similar interests somewhere they're good at painting racism somewhere yeah, including racism, one of which acted on it a little more than the other, but the other one still acted on it. Somewhat. Now, that was all the nice, you know, for balance. We're being a bit nice. You, you know, he is a man at the end of the day. He has hobbies. He has downtime. He has a family. He I just realised you were trying to... Dotingly. You were trying to be nice to him, and I just immediately bring up Hitler in comparison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Churchill did actually try, because he absolutely is into his politics. Like he'd said... Um, previous, I think we said it in the last episode to him, politics is like war he cannot get enough of it, he absolutely loves being in politics and he did try on several occasions to get back into politics but to no avail it wasn't until the Labour Party started to make waves and gain more support, even going as far as forming their first government in 1923, did you know that Churchill slid his way back into the DMs of politics now for the first time in 20 years he made a speech for a conservative meeting and was then approached by them to rejoin. But he had one condition. He would rejoin the conservatives and stand for it as, as an MP, but he would not stand under the banner of a conservative, but as a constitutionalist, which um, this is the first time we've heard of the Labour Party, which is quite prominent in today's politics. At that time, the Liberal Party were kind of dying down. Uh, and most people that were part of the Liberal Party jumped ship to the Conservative Party, which is why we don't really hear the Liberal Party anymore. And I think it's now like Liberal Democrats. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they jumped ship and went to Conservatives, but they didn't want to be called Conservatives. They generally call themselves Constitutionalists. And Churchill was one of them. And he joined, rejoined the Conservatives and was back in government by 1924 as Chancellor of the Exchequer for the Big Conservative job. government. It's a big job. It's literally second. Yeah, it's a huge job. Yeah, a position that he held for the rest of government until 1929, and I will also point out, unqualified for. Remember, Churchill was not academically gifted at all. He was shit at school. Yeah, and now he's in charge of the country's money. Money, yeah, money. Yeah, he's Mr. Krabs. Yeah, money. I I like money. money. Now, some things he did during these years as Chancellor were, again, because this is fucking balanced, this episode. I'm not shitting on him. I'm not just some fucking liberal lefty who's going to shit all over him and I want his statue torn down. He's a a three-dimensional man, and there are some good parts. So, he kept an eye on payments to the United States for the First World War. So, this is a whole fucking weird thing, man. America was, like I said earlier, given Germany shitloads of money to pay off 
their war reparations. Remember, they had like, I think it was like 8 billion they had to pay back mm. to the Allied governments for the war as taking total blame, even though it was Austria-Hungary who started it. Um, they had to pay back Brits and they had no fucking money. So the Americans gave Germany loans that they knew they would not be able to pay back so that they could pay the British. And then the British gave that money practically straight back to America to pay for the American support in the war. Confusing? Yeah, what's the point? Just many middlemen there. Yeah, it was just too many middlemen. So America gave money to Germany, who gave it to Britain, who gave it back to America. Right. Yeah. Now, GCSE history tells us that shit like this helped World War II happen. But anyway... He also helped reduce the pension age from 70 to 65. Hey. Which we still have today. Yeah, I think they want to up it again, though, don't they? Uh, I believe so, yeah. But, um, but yeah, anyway, he decreased the income tax in the hope to boost small businesses. So he was pro-small businesses. Start up your nice. own little shop, go for it. Uh, he re- reduced naval spending at the time because obviously we were in peacetime. He was like, there's no need to waste money on, on the military, like, we're not likely to have a fucking war again anytime real soon after what we've just had. Mm. Uh, he called for a minimum wage for miners after the Great Strike in 1926. Okay. And he, he increased taxes on matches, to, uh, tobacco, luxury cars, petrol and wines. And had a meeting with Benito Mussolini in Rome and praised him for his stance on Leninism and communism. What? So, yeah, like, yeah, be against communism, but then also you are praising a fascist. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I wanted to throw that in at the end. Yeah, he had, he had a meeting with Benito Mussolini and was like, I like your stance on communism. and I like that you don't like Lenin. I don't, I'm not entirely sure how, how much more he knew and how far this guy would go. But yeah, he, he totally met up with Benito Mussolini. Yeah, maybe it was just early days. That was totally early days, yeah. But it's funny. Now, by 1929, another election and a defeat for the Conservatives meant that Churchill was out of government, but he retained his seat of... Can you guess where he was the MP of? Is it Dundee? No, it's back in London now. We are in Epping. Oh, is it? Right, okay. Uh, So he was still an MP, but with no government job, he needed to find work elsewhere. So he continued writing. For the most part, Churchill's 1930s were rather quiet when it comes to controversies. He was a member of the shadow government, so he had no real power or influence to speak of and was unable to do much on the world stage. But he sure did have his opinions, and he did make them known. The then Labour government was debating on granting India dominion status, which would mean semi-independence, which is a bit forward-thinking if you ask me. But Churchill was vehemently opposed to that. He didn't believe that India was ready for independence, which, in another way of saying, because we can speak empire, we're never going to let you get ready for independence. Yeah, exactly that. And he also didn't trust India's caste system, fearing that the Brahmin caste would overpower the Dalits or the Untouchables, which, if you remember to our We touched on this in Dashrath Manji. Holy shit. Episode 50 and episode 1 with a link. Links, man. We're getting links everywhere. Yeah, uh, we did mention Dashrath Manji, who, if you haven't listened, check out episode one, uh, which is Dashrath Manji. He is a Dalek, which is an untouchable, literally, who carved a pathway for a mountain. Um, Churchill was worried that the Brahmin caste, which are the top tier caste of India back then, 
uh, would overpower and uh, overpower the Daleks, and it wouldn't be good for them because they had a caste system which he didn't agree with. Yeah, which we do briefly touch in the first episode. We do now. He was also critical of a man called Mohandas Gandhi, who was an Indian lawyer turned political activist for Indian independence. Hmm, wonder who that is. Hmm, Gandhi was a popular figure in the independence movement, and his hunger strikes and non-violent protests became famous throughout the world, even today. Churchill, though, called him a jumped-up lawyer, pretending to be a man of faith, saying that he was a, quotes, seditious middle templar, now posing as a fakir. He genuinely just thought he was just a lawyer, just um, uh, abusing the moment. Yeah. He's got momentum. He's going to go with it. Now he's trying to be a religious man. He really didn't like him. Really didn't like him. Churchill had beef with Gandhi. Churchill had beef with Gandhi. I mean, Gandhi has beef with people anyway, particular Africans, but... Yeah, Gandhi was a bit of a racist as well, wasn't he? This is true. Now, Churchill was now in his late 50s. Remember, when Churchill was 12, Jack the Ripper was around. He's old. Yeah. Now, as he's aged, he seems to be leaning more and more to the right in political terms. He is pro-military aggression to put down rebellions or anything that would threaten the British Empire. You know, the empire that he was brought up in. His youth was a constant reaffirming that he and the British Empire were superior. But reality showed a different side. A once great technologically advanced empire was being caught up with by the rest of the world and Britain was being seen for what it was, just ahead of the curve which abused the position it was in. That's all it really was. The reason Britain at one point ruled, quotes, over three, uh, was it like a a third of the world landmass? Was just because it was technologically advanced going against nations that couldn't fight it. That was the Yeah, we, we, I think... I think that's the main reason the Empire was so successful, because we acted at the r- correct time for us. It was just right timing, man. That's that every other country was like struggling, and we had the Industrial Revolution and all that, so we were ready to go. As soon as the world caught up, Britain was you know, seen for what it was. It, it was just yeah. ahead of the time at the time. That was it. Now, this is the point where... like. When people say like, oh, when when people just label Churchill as a racist, it's a bit difficult to just do that. I think because there has to be context to almost everything, and that's the point of these episodes that we're doing. Like I just said, Churchill was brought up in Empire days and was told from a young age that he and the Empire that he served was superior. He genuinely believed it; it was drilled into his head. And unfortunately, I think it's fair to say, as you we get older, we become more stubborn. And we become yeah. more, um, what's the word? More conservative in our mind. Yes, yeah, cynical. Yeah, there's a reason why a lot of like you know, there's young people, the old people currently in the world. You know, where young people look yeah. at old people and like, oh, you're so right wing and you're racist and stuff like that. And the old people look at young people and they can't quite understand a lot of the time. They can't see where they're coming from. And I think that's mm. what's happening with Churchill. You know, Churchill's been brought up in an empire days he's been told he's superior he genuinely believes it he's fought for the empire he he cares for it and it's now slipping through his like his fingers right in front of him and i think he's just being stubborn being a stubborn old git and just sticking to his ways and i think that's probably it so yes he is a racist but it's like i can understand where it comes from 
Yeah, it just goes back to that man of the time argument, does it? Which I, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever fully, fully buy the man of the time argument. No, no, and you're absolutely right to say that, James, because there are people, particularly in that time, there were people way before in like even America when slavery was a thing, that argued against it. But unfortunately, they were the minority, and their voices were not so big. And when you've got the majority saying one thing, it's just easier to go along with it. Yeah, but then we again, as some people touch on, we're now judging him on today's standards. Yeah, which thankfully the world has come on le- leaps and bounds, and he was a racist because I think he made some horrendous quotes about uh, Indian people in particular. Yeah, yeah, he does, he does. Um, but yeah, it's not to defend it; it's just to say I understand it, and I think that to contextualize it, I can contextualize it and understand it, and I hope that you guys listening can also get that from this episode and so it's easy to just label him as such uh, and you'd be right to do so but also contextualize it give it some yeah he, he he was a racist and he was raised as a racist i think was it you i had this conversation with i'm not sure like if you're born say for example like there's nazis nowadays like neo-nazis if you're yeah. a child and you're born into that neo-nazi family the yeah. chances are you will then be a neo-nazi yeah yeah, exactly. It's the same with, you look at Westboro Baptist Church, those children are brainwashed since day one. Yeah, exactly. And they grow up to believe it. And unless someone tells them otherwise, they're never going to get out of it. So. Yeah, but then it's such it's such a difficult conversation to it have. Is. Especially with like his statue and slides. It's so, there's so many, so many layers to it. There is. And that's what we're doing is, uh, spoiler alert everyone, three episodes on this dude there will be another one after this now churchill has lost a shitload of money in the great depression so in an attempt to recoup some of his losses he toured around the world giving speeches now while in new york remember the city that his mother is from he was hit by a car breaking two ribs uh he had a head wound and some bruising and it's after this that he uh, while he aged he then needed the famous walking stick that we know of him um can I also right now address one thing? We did have one comment from someone uh, talking about the fact that Churchill had black ancestry. Did we? I must have glossed over that. I don't. You, you must have not seen the comment, but I saw the comment. Someone was defending Churchill, um, and then it was all fine and good and whatever. But then they said that Churchill had black ancestry, so I looked into it, and he, he there's a, there's an old claim that Churchill has. Uh, it's called Urukai which was, I believe, um, American native blood. I'm sorry, say that again? Urukai, yeah. Urukai? Yeah, it sounds a lot like, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, it Maybe sounds me. like Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? Yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, there's there's an old uh, rumour that he has this native American blood in him from his mother's side, but uh, supposedly there is no genealogical uh, evidence for it, and it's not true. So I just want to point that out right now. And also, um, just because you may have had different, like, I don't know, ethnicities in your blood some point hundreds of years ago, many generations ago, does not fucking veto you from being called a racist or being racist. Totally. It's totally. just, it, it, I think it, it, it's on a par with the I have a black friend, therefore I can't be racist argument. It is. Yeah, it's exactly that, isn't it? But it's one level on. Yeah, it's one level on. Uh, okay, yeah, well, I've got that out of the way now. Uh, so, yeah, Churchill got run over in New York. Um, but now Churchill, as I say, uh, Churchill did meet one future enemy in Benito Mussolini, Benito Mussolini. These bloody names. But he narrowly missed out on the other enemy of his future, 
and Adolf Hitler, although he did come very close. Can you believe it? They never actually met in history, but they nearly did. Mm. So, Mr. Churchill was in Germany in the 1930s and met with a one Ernst Hanfenstagel, which, weird, why am I able to say that, but I can't say Benito Mussolini or Lloyd George? Or Lloyd George, yeah. Very odd. But a fucking German name, I'm like, I'm all over that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I said that right, German listeners. But yeah, he met with an Ernst uh, Hanfenstegel, who was a close friend of Mr. Hitler. Now, whilst meeting this Ernst, Churchill mentioned how he was a bit uneasy about Hitler's anti-Semitism, who at the time was beginning to rise to prominence. And Churchill genuinely was worried that if Germany at the time had rearmed itself, it would wish to take back territories lost in the Treaty of Versailles after World War I. Big spoiler alert. They did. They do. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what he wanted to do. That's exactly what he wanted to do. It's like Churchill's psychic somewhere. Mm. Do you know what? He's probably thinking, what would I do? Yeah, exactly. If I'd lost my empire, what the fuck would I do? Yeah. Uh, So he argued in Parliament that Britain, with its reduced spending on the Air Force, would soon be overtaken by Germany that was beginning to rearm itself. Remember, before World War One happened, Churchill was like, for every warship you build, I'll build two. Yeah. So if he was like, if he was Lord of the Air Force then, he'd be like, I'll build ten. Like, I know something's going on. He was begging Parliament to do something about it and rearm itself in case anything happened. Yeah. Although... Um, uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, as I say, Germany was beginning to rearm itself. Although, if you ask Germany at the time, they're all like, "Nah, what?" Yeah, they're not uh, allowed to rearm. No, they were like, "All these planes, they're just for fun, you know. You know, just like sending the lads up in the sky. You know, yeah, just like the entire Western world just appeased them. Everyone appeased yeah. them. What what we what we doing in Spain? Oh, just on holiday. <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, they, they were do. in Spain fighting the civil war. I was having this conversation Basically. with my brother. I think yesterday, in fact, um, the fact that Hitler was so envious of the British Navy, he grew up like loving the British Navy. He wanted he to make the German Navy like on par with it. However, he's Hitler a fucking was, Id- he was a fucking idiot because Germany's landlocked. <laughs> it's not like how are you, to do this. You're gonna you're gonna need a base somewhere else. Germany's not uh, I don't think it is landlocked is it it does have some sort of northern beach I swear Germany's landlocked I have to look at a map right now yeah let's have a look right now right now get the maps it might not be then the whole point is just I don't think it's landlocked but I think it's something to do with um oh Christ oh no it's totally not Oh, okay. It's got a bit of coast. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Has a bit of coast, but um, it, it was something to do with uh, they have like one of the, Germany during World War Two had like the biggest warship in the world at that point, but it didn't have a port in Germany that was big enough to house it, which is why they invaded Norway and they used Norway as their base for it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. Germany was totally like, yeah, no, we're totally not rearming ourselves. These planes are totally just for fun, and we're not in Spain helping fight a civil war to train our troops and our airmen. We're just there on our holidays. Oh, and all those kids in the Hitler Youth flying gliders. No, they're not training basically to become fighter pilots and fight the British in the Second World War. They're just having fun. So yeah, and everyone was just like, yeah, that's fine. It's like you know, that's have you ever fine. seen um Monty Python Holy Grail? Yep. You know when the prince is stuck in the tower and the guards are like, 
uh, you cannot let him out under any instructions whatsoever. You must keep him in this room. And he's there, like, writing notes and firing them. And the guards are just looking at him, smiling, like, nodding. That's exactly what was happening. That's exactly what was happening. So in 1935, Britain granted the India Bill, which gave Indians more autonomy in ruling themselves. Now, Churchill, presumably blowing steam out of his ears, wrote to Gandhi himself, saying, quotes, You have got the thing now. Make it a success. And if you do, I will advocate your getting much more. So Churchill knew that um, if, should any future conflict happen, which was very likely, that they would need the Indian nation to help them out. Uh, it mm. need all the empire to help out. And it seems that trying to keep Gandhi on side with a possible hint of independence should they do the right thing was the way of doing it. So the, that seems to be the only real time that Churchill sort of in some way appeased Gandhi. He was like, fine, you can have your fucking independence, but we need your fucking help if you do the right thing. Yeah. And Churchill was right to be worried. Shit was genuinely kicking off in Germany during the 30s. It was not a great time to be around. Uh, Churchill even wrote a piece to the Evening Standard appealing directly to Mr. Hitler, asking him to stop his persecution of Jewish people and religious organisations. But Hitler, as we know, didn't give a shit and did whatever the fuck he liked, including annexing his homeland of Austria and then the Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia. Britain's response to this fucking go on lad have a good time yep 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 it was appeasement <laughs> yep all right all right all right mate you can have austria no worries yeah let hitler do what he's got to do he won't take the piss he promised i met with him and he gave me a piece of paper saying he wouldn't do it anymore oh wait it's like that um that peep show meme uh where they're all and hitler promised not to invade czechoslovakia jeremy welcome to the real world <laughs> that's exactly it is exactly it that fucking piece of that promise that was written on a piece of paper was written on fucking rice paper and i tell you what i would have tasted damn good that rice paper because rice paper is amazing <laughs> it's that's literally what happened right the british prime minister came back from germany having met mr hitler and went Mr. Hitler has promised that he will not invade any more countries. He's written on this piece of paper. And then someone literally whispers in his ear and he's gone, he's done what? Poland? <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, that that was the point where we were like, oh, for fuck's sakes. Literally. They were like, don't look. Like, like Hitler was just like, as he turned his back. Yeah. Right, go. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and then World War Two began. Yeah, because we had a treaty with Poland, didn't we? The second they got in a spot of bother, we'd have to get involved. Pretty much, yeah. It's crazy that you think... Like, but, but this is the problem. Appeasement. It's like if you, it's like with a child. It's literally like with a child. They always say, you know the, the saying, if you give them an inch, they will take a mile. Yeah, exactly that. We gave them Austria and the Sudetenland of Czechoslovakia. It took Poland. <laughs> yeah, like, it's... It, Hitler was a master tactician as well. He knew that we wouldn't want another war. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was an Anglophile. He didn't want us. He didn't want to fight Britain in general. He genuinely thought that we would sort of side with them, and we almost did. And that I think that will be another episode. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about you know Britain's um, abdicated king being yeah. quite pally pally with Mister Hitler, who quite literally helped him invade Paris. Mm. Like it's meant. It's fucking batshit that story. But yeah, I think that would be interesting to do. And is it interestingly, that is where we leave it today. Uh, this episode is about to f- is finished here as World War Two has just started. Poland I thought World War Two will be a juicy one. 
we all know what's going to happen in World War Two. There are some things in World War Two, and is this the next episode we come to is where Mister Churchill is most famous for, and it's where a lot of people draw a lot of their defence for him. Yeah, when, like when does all the famine um, things come into it? Is yeah, during World episode? War Two. Yep, next cool. episode. Okay. Um, spoiler cool. alert: there is famines coming. Uh, again, but yeah. it's 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 war by numbers. It, it, it's science of warfare that caused shit like that to happen. Um, but right. we will go into that next week. So yeah, so far we've had two episodes on Mister Churchill. Um, what are your thoughts, feelings, and opinions on the man so far? Now I know we've briefly mentioned it throughout the episode, but yeah, just a fossil of his time. Um, a very clever man. Don't get me wrong, very clever. Yeah. Uh, okay. Again, he he lacks the emotional side of anything. He just he doesn't see people like when he's sending people into war. He just sees them as a number. He'd be a great Terminator. Yeah, exactly that. He'd be a fucking great psychopath as well. Yeah, but, I mean, you could argue, but probably was. Yeah, well, to have no emotional connection to any of these people doesn't really um, have much empathy. Again, again, as we've said so many times, he's a very three-dimensional man. Totally. There's there's so many sides to him, and I think I think that's what we we are so desperate to do with these episodes. Is I know we do take stances, and I compared him to Hitler at one point. Sorry, but <laughs> we we don't want to take a stance. Well, I suppose we are taking the stance of he's not as black and white as good or bad. Yeah, he was a man who did some really clever good things. If you're British, if you're in another country, then you completely have a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, but I he mean, also did some really fucked up stuff. When it's... we did our when we did our uh, your, our episode on Jack Churchill, you mentioned at the beginning we were like, if you're if you're British, this dude's a hero. If you were German, this dude's probably not. Exactly that. There's there's sides to every story, and obviously we could look at what Churchill did and say that was wrong, that was wrong. But I suppose in the next episode we'll cover it. He had to get Britain through the war. Yeah, he did. He had to get Britain through the war, and he had to try and save as much of the empire as possible. Um, uh, my little two cents on it, I wrote towards the end of this episode it's just that churchill saw politics as war as mentioned in the quote that politics is like war he lived for the excitement for adventure and what better for him at that time than when he was in when he was young and in the military playing toy soldier as an elite member of a high society possibly not in any real danger until arguably the second boer war and even the first world war he continued this militant view throughout his political career he maybe was unable to differentiate between warring and ruling. As he got older, it became a game of chess to him. We don't really care about the pawns on the chessboard when we play chess. They're the ones that are expendable. It's the king and the queen that you try to protect the most. And then the other elite players on the board. So for Churchill, it was all one big chess game, I believe. Likely unaware or unwilling to acknowledge the real consequences of his actions. That's my opinion. On I that. think that's a very that's a very fair. Co- the ch- I love the chess analogy. That's very true. He's there to protect the king and queen, yeah. and the pawns will be sacrificed. Yeah, it, it just so happens that we judge him on today's standards. No, maybe these standards existed back then. You'd like to think that people's lives were valued. That we don't like to see people as kings, queens, and pawns. We like to see people as humans across the board. Mm. But the reality of it was, to him they were pawns and he was protecting the queen and the empire which is the rest of the pieces the pawns are expendable they are there to protect and unfortunately as well 
for the most part, we are pawns looking at it. We are looking at it from a pawn perspective. We're the ones going, why would you do this to us? Whereas yeah. if, if world... we were part of the if we were part of the elite, we'd probably have a different opinion on the man. Probably, yeah, probably, but yeah, it's. Hmm. But that's how yeah. I see it. I see it as one big chess game for him. Politics is chess. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's perfect. I think his stand, his, I don't know, what's the what's the best way to put this? His way of going about things would not fly in today's world. No, it would not, not at all. But in that time, there was so much tension everywhere. It just seemed like the world was just in a constant state of wanting to fuck each other up. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so people like him could thrive. Whereas in today's world, there's still war and stuff, but ge- generally, it's quite peaceful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we live in the most peaceful yeah, he, era he's... in history. I really wonder what he'd think of Trump. Hmm. Really, what would he think of that man? I think he'd think he's a fucking idiot. I I believe he would see him as an idiot. Yeah, if if because Churchill was very open about his opinions, and I imagine he would write an article just going, "This bloke is an absolute buffoon." Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And I think I think we we see it now. I think Boris is trying to be the Churchill of like the coronavirus era. Well, I think I saw a wonderful article. It's Boris thinks he's Churchill of coronavirus, but in reality, he's Chamberlain. Excellent. I like that appeasement. Which I th- I think is spot on. Like Chamberlain was just like fucks it up, fucks it up, fucks it up, and then Churchill had to come in and save the day. Yeah, he had to take drastic measures to get shit done. Which, when we get into the next episode, like it's so fascinating. The fact that like Churchill, yep, yeah, was racist, killed horrendous amounts of people, and did some unspeakable things. So maybe he shouldn't have a statue. I don't know. What well, I'm sure we'll talk about that next time. Mm. But also during the war, he fucking did some insane stuff. Like Dunkirk was his idea. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, that that he he also like think... he also fought against the French at one at one point. <laughs> yeah, we it's will get into it what... next week. Yeah, there's <laughs> so many sides to this man. Like, there's no definitive answer to no. this as much as both some people want there to be but on both sides. Yeah, there's um... no definitive answer to whether he was good or bad. He no. was a man who did some horrendous, horrendous things, but also did some good things. Yeah, and that is why there will never be a conclusion to this story. <laughs> No, never. Like, if he did all of the bad things that he did without being prime minister during World War Two, I think it would be more swung to one side. But oh, you're absolutely right. The last World, World War Two. If existed. World War Two didn't happen, he would not be reviled as uh, seen as he is. No, absolutely not. It's oh, fascinating, fascinating. I don't know. I hope people listening understand that as well. That we're trying not to take a definitive side and simply give information on this very grey character. Mm. Very, very, very grey. Um, brilliant. All right, then. Thank you very much for listening to part two. I know this has been a long one, so um, thank you for getting so far and sticking with us. I hope you are enjoying it and you're learning loads and loads and loads about this bloke and how he's not. Come at us in the Facebook comments. Post your shit. We want to see some more Union Jack flags. Yeah, totally. Like, Send us your opinions. If you have an opinion on the man or if, there's, if, if you don't like him, tell us. If you do like him, tell us. Like... We've learned we've learned so much from like just how people react to Hitler. Uh, not Hitler. So why did I do that? Christ, Churchill. Uh, <laughs> that's your fault. Uh, something that I something that I've really enjoyed is that usually when I see debates on Facebook, I'll just wade in. I suppose I share that attribute with Churchill that I have to fucking just give my tuppence worth on everything. Mm. But 
the fact that we're like <laughs> looking at it from like a business perspective as well that we don't want to wade in with our personal opinions on a business page it's been really interesting just to sit back and read yeah and not get involved yeah i mean uh, realistically that's what the podcast is for that's what we're here to do right now this is where we sort of talk about it's easy for us to explain how we feel and how we think whilst we're talking and recording the podcast and you guys you know us now if you've been listening to us for a while you sort of got the gist of us now and you sort of know where we're sort of thinking when in terms of like opening up the conversation through our social media that's for you guys like have the conversation we want to see what you guys think we'll be in the comments like at the beginning uh, just sort of wading in and saying reaffirming what we think and what the episode is trying to put out uh, and then it's up to you guys like send us your fucking comments let us know what you think man yeah it's fascinating to learn other people's opinions no matter how fucking wild some of them are yeah um so yeah guys keep it coming make sure you follow us on all the social media if you are new um you can find us on instagram at that's what people do podcast and you can find us on facebook at that's wpd the same on twitter at that's wpd uh or if you want to contact us via email you can get us at that's what people do podcast at gmail.com um if you're new if you're not if you're a regular listener anything like that Please, if you have the time, uh, hit us up on a little review. Um, drop us a little, you know, these guys are great. I like these guys. I like their British accents. Or I'll say it stupid like that. I don't care. Uh, drop us a little five-star rating. Um, drop us a review. Share, share, share. Tell your mum, tell your nan, tell your dog and your goldfish to listen to us. Um, because we've got yeah. stuff to say. And I hope you like listening to it too. But yeah. We do. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Really appreciate it. Join us next week for part three of Winston Churchill. And the finale. And the finale, yes. That will be the end of it. And for our year anniversary, episode 52, we will be having a little documentary review, which we're really looking forward to. I look forward to that. Yeah, I love those kind of episodes. So yeah, thank you very much for listening, guys. We shall see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.